0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: I'd like to invite you to join Dr. Mark Christian and myself as we look at the facts, biblical prophecies, and inside scoops of the Israeli war on Sunday, December 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at Covenant Presbyterian Church 15002 Blondo. The event is free, but registration is required at globalfaith.org. One of the most talked about end times wars is the Battle of Gog and Magog as outlined in Ezekiel 38 and 39. People have even speculated whether the current Swords of Iron War in Israel could be that Gog and Magog War. We've studied this war before, but it's been years, so it's time to revisit this important upcoming event. I'm Debbie Blank, inviting you to turn to Ezekiel 38 as we examine God's Word for the truth. And
0: I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. When Hamas terrorists slaughtered Israeli citizens in a surprise attack on October 7th, many Bible scholars immediately took another look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. Why? Recent events seem to be realigning Israel's enemies in a new way, but exactly how it's prophesied in Ezekiel. Ezekiel contains a last days prophecy about a coalition of nations coming together to destroy Israel. Iran, who sponsors Hamas' terror attacks, plus Russia, Turkey, Sudan, and Libya are included in the prophecy under their ancient names. And as events now seem to be moving these nations into place, they probably think they're masters of their own plan. But Ezekiel 38 and 39 on the upcoming Gog and Magog War shows us that it is the sovereign God of Israel who really is in charge.
1: I'm so glad we know our sovereign God of Israel because we can trust him. We're told in Daniel chapter 2, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. So we know that whatever happens in this world, he's in charge. Ultimately, he's told us what would happen. He's moving the players into place and things will happen just exactly as he said they would. Now, don't misunderstand me because some people think, well, God's in charge. So I'm just going to go home and sit down and eat bonbons all day and he'll take care of everything. No, he gives us responsibilities in the things that we do. But he does have a big picture in play. And he outlines a lot of that in the book of Ezekiel. Specifically, Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, God shared his plans clearly for the restoration of Israel in the last days, which began well over a 100 years ago. And we saw the culmination of statehood for Israel on May 14, 1948, the first time in 2,500 years that Israel had controlled their land as their own state. God knows and predicted that Israel must be in their land before the return of Jesus Christ. And they are, and we saw that in Ezekiel. So those are good chapters to read. But in the next two chapters, which are what we're gonna focus on today, he then shares how Israel's enemies want to destroy them. So open with me, if you would, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. We're gonna walk through the next two chapters over the next two weeks, because we believe they're that important for you to understand. Ezekiel 38 1 starts, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards Gog, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. And say, Thus says the Lord God Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you about, and put hooks in your jaws and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer with all its troops, Bethtagama from the remotest parts of the north, with all the troops, many people with you. Right there at the very beginning we have the explanation of who the players are in this war. You've already mentioned them by their current names. Now, clearly those names aren't Russia and Iran and Turkey, but these are the ancient names for the lands that we know as those countries. First of all, when you look at Gog, that's a person. It's a prince. So whoever this Gog is, it's the leader of this coalition. Rosh is known historically as the land of Russia. Magog is the stands that are south of Russia. Persia, we know from history, is the current land of Iran. Kush is Sudan, it's south of Egypt. And then Put is Libya, that area even Libya and to the east of Libya. Whereas Meshach is modern day Turkey. We know historically that those are the players in this final battle. Kind of an interesting eclectic group of people. Probably the most important thing to know is that never in history has it been proven that these countries coalesce together against Israel.
0: And we've been able to follow those countries through the changing geography, a little bit of the political situation changes. And so some of those borders aren't exactly the same, but these are the same people groups, the same general geography, and when we look at those names, and some of them are pretty ancient and different than what we're used to today, but when you think of the name for Iran, it really has been Persian up until 1935, which is pretty recent in history, it was Persia. Iran is just a very modern name for the
1: land of Persia. Let's talk about each one of these countries. Because we've all heard of Russia and Iran and Turkey, but not necessarily some of the other countries. What do they have in common? Why would they come together against Israel? We have to understand their modern politics to understand that in the history of mankind. So this is a future battle. Now in Russia, Russia's been in existence for centuries, but it's only been in the last century that they've gained international prominence. Because during and after World War One, the Russian government suffered a crisis of confidence. That resulted in chaos and civil war and the Bolshevik Revolution, and ultimately a new communist government headed by Joseph Stalin, the most ruthless dictator of all time, who is believed to have orchestrated the murder of over 40 million people during 1922 to 1952. He's the one who established the socialistic government in Russia. And Russia, of course, we know is the largest country by land in the world and the second most powerful nation in the world behind the United States. For years, we've considered the United States was the power of the West and Russia the power of the East. In October 2017, a Bloomberg article said, Putin is filling the Middle East power vacuum. So United States, which was very active in the Middle East, as was Britain and France after World War I, All of a sudden, we're not the power players anymore. Putin is, which is Russia. And most of these countries that we mentioned are either Middle East or African countries. And Putin is the one that has power. Russia, Turkey, and Iran conspired to remove the United States from Syria in 2019. So you had three players right there, the biggest ones, working against the United States. Russia right now is providing an air defense system to the Hezbollah terrorists in Lebanon who are shooting some of those rockets into Israel. Israel and Russia have always had a good relationship, but that's changing. After the October 7th massacre in Israel, the head of Hamas went to Russia and visited with President Putin. Israel used to give Russia warnings when they were gonna fire rockets into Syria to protect their territory or to destroy rockets that have been shot at them. Israel doesn't do that anymore. So the relationship between Israel and Russia is changing just recently. It's been good before, but it's teetering right now.
0: And we think about Russia and the Ukraine war when they invaded Ukraine and the United States and the Western powers kind of took charge of sanctions and different things against Russia. And ironically, it has just pushed Russia into an alignment with some of these other countries even stronger than before where they supply weapons and money and so forth. So instead of doing what we thought it would do as Western powers, it's done what the Bible says was going to
1: happen. That's right. And most of what Russia has in common with these countries are oil and armaments, weapons. If we look at Iran, the discovery of oil in Iran in 1908 caused the Russians and the Turks, which were Turkey, as well as the English and the West, wanting a piece of that country because they had oil. At that time, the young Shah of Iran wasn't able to utilize Iran's new resources, nor withstand the intrusions that were coming upon him. So he was overthrown by the Pavlavi dynasty, who turned the country into a constitutional monarchy. Now, that sounds very positive. But we know that in 1979, the Ayatollah Khomeini brought about an uprising, the Islamic Resolution, and took over Iran for Islam. And ever since then, Iran's been branding itself as a force to be reckoned with. They hate Israel. They call it the little Satan. They call the United States the big Satan. They're even considered one of the four state sponsors of terrorism. Again, that's just happened in the last 40 some years. Iran emerged in 2017 as the 14th most powerful nation in the world, primarily due to the fact that that they control almost 10% of the world's oils reserves. They're the fourth largest country with oil reserves and people need oil. People need oil for cars. Even though we're looking at electric cars these days, we still need oil to heat our homes. They manipulated Western powers into signing that 2015 JCPOA, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with United States where they were given $150 million in sanction relief and $1.7 billion in money that was held by the United States. Did they use that money to build up their country? No, they reinforced their armaments and supplied those armaments to their terrorist proxies, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, the Houthis in Yemen, and the Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Interesting that all three of those countries right now are shooting rockets into Israel.
0: The reaction um, to that JCPOA by some of the enemies of Iran as far as the division between the Shiites, which Iran is, and the Sunnis, which the greatest country of the Sunnis is Saudi Arabia that has the holy sites in there that Iran would like to have some control over, is causing a situation where there's a realignment in some of those countries feeling the threat of Iran. And so we've seen some interesting realignments. We never expected some of those countries making agreements with Israel.
1: The current foreign minister in Iran has said Due to the expansion of the intensity of the war against Gaza's civilian residents, expansion of the scope of war has become inevitable. The Iranian president said the same thing. So we're looking at Iran being willing to take more of an active role in the war that's going on in Israel. Israel has proven that Iran has been involved with Hamas in providing Hamas with the armament they have, the training that they had in order to go in and attack Israel. But direct confrontation from Iran hasn't been there. Israel has threatened Iran that if they get in the war any further, that Israel will attack Iran. If Iran and Israel start shooting rockets at each other and potentially nuclear disaster, the whole Middle East will explode. And if it does, it will bring in the Western powers, Europe and the United States, into that war. It hasn't happened yet. I don't know that it will happen, simply because Iran has to remain an entity in order to be part of this Gog and Magog war. If Israel chooses to destroy Iran, that won't happen. One thing about Iran is they and their allies are determined to make sure Arabs and the Israelis never make a lasting peace agreement. They're gonna do everything in their power to create war and terror, to prevent that peace from happening. It's not surprising with the Abrahamic Accords between Israel and the Arab countries that Iran is raising its ugly head.
0: That does explain some of the situation where of the timing of the October 7th attacks because it seemed like Saudi Arabia and Israel were coming very, very close to a deal according to the Abraham Accords that others had signed. And it was like that was something Iran could not tolerate, so it had to do something.
1: Let's look at Turkey now, the third country mentioned in this Gagamagag War. After World War I, it emerged as the only territory left in the Ottoman Turkish Empire. However, they did not have nearly the power that they had had previously under the Ottoman Turks. They were forced to become a non-Islamic state and to dissolve the caliphate in 1924. Well, the current president, Recep Erdogan, has a desire to reinstitute the caliphate, so that Turkey will be the prime location for the Islamic revolution in throughout the whole world, but really the seat of Islam is what he's trying to do. Will that happen? We don't know, but we do know that he is a dictator now. He was elected as prime minister and then elected as president, and he's not willing to give up that position. He has coalesced with Russia primarily for the weapons and for the oil that we mentioned. Turkey is part of NATO, which is supposed to provide peace in the Middle East. That has caused a little bit of a problem with Russia because Russia is not a member of NATO and the Ukraine is interested in being a member of NATO. So you have a conflict there between Russia and Ukraine and how the Turkish people are feeling about that. So there's a little bit of friction, but all in all, Turkey relies on Russia for their oil, and they rely on them for their armament. I don't see that coalition changing because both of them do not like the Western powers. So it's
0: interesting to see how these countries are moving in different directions and coalescing in different ways, where you can see where this relationship that we're looking at in Ezekiel 38 could be forming We also have a couple other players that are mentioned.
1: The next one is Sudan. And these seem to be minor players, at least on the world stage today, but understand that the ancient land of Ethiopia encompasses now the territory of Sudan, which is why we think that that's one of these countries. It's one of four state sponsors of terrorism. So it and Iran are both considered state sponsors of terrorism. They have the same mental attitude. They don't care about the West. They don't care about democracy or doing the right thing. Their greatest political ally right now is Russia, who serves as its strongest investment partner and the major weapons supplier for that country. Well, they're a terrorist country. They're just on the southern part of the Red Sea from Israel, so if they have the proper armaments, they could shoot those rockets into Israel from the western side. Right now, they produce 8 billion barrels of oil every year. China right now is the primary country purchasing 40% of that oil. But Russia needs to make sure that that oil is available to them as well as to their partners, China, because China and Russia these days are working together to kind of build a new world government of their own, trying to oust the Western powers and the democratic system and make this world more of a communistic system. In Sudan, oil amounts to 70 to 90% of their total exports. So they need to be able to export those out and have buyers, currently China, as well as Russia. So again, in Sudan, it's armament and oil. Now looking at Libya, Libya's been crazy, but ever since Muammar Gaddafi was ousted and killed as head of Libya, it's been a free-for-all. You've had the rebels fighting the military to try and take over that country. In an effort to maintain their interests in Libya, Russia is providing security forces and armament to those rebel forces, because Russia wants to control that country. Why? Because they produce 48.4 barrels of approved reserves of oil and gas every year. They want control of that country because of that. So you see, it's all about weapons, power, and oil, when you look at all five of these together. Is Saudi Arabia the number one oil producing country in the world? Yes, it is, but they're not in this prophecy. For whatever reason, Russia doesn't have a desire to coalesce with them. It's specifically these five nations. And that's how we're
0: seeing things line up. As we said, Saudi Arabia was beginning to align with Israel. So we do have a division there.
1: Before we move on, I want to go back to this very interesting phrase that we saw in verse 4. It says, I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out. That is an interesting description that shows how God is the one that's orchestrating this entire battle he's the one it's almost like he is putting those hooks and forcing them to go against Israel even though it's their idea and their plan but it shows that God's completely in charge with it
0: Well, the circumstances involving the oil market and how critical that is to Russia, they can't give that up. That's what they depend on for their existence. And so anything that would be a threat to that is really important for them to confront. And we're going to see that there might be something that Israel has that they didn't used to have.
1: That's correct. Let's go now and look at the timing of this war in verses 7 through 9, where it reads, "...be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies." that are assembled about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be summoned in the latter years. You will come into a land that is restored from their sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which have been a continual waste. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. And you will go up. You will come like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your troops, and many peoples with you. Who's this talking about? Well, it's very clear. It says it's talking about the mountains of Israel. The timing here is in the latter years. What are the latter years? It's the final times before Jesus Christ returns. And not only that, but it gives us other descriptions when it says that the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which has been a continual waste. Well, Israel was a total wasteland under the Ottoman Turks from 1517 to 1917. Continual wasteland, it was described as. And yet when the Jews made Aliyah to that country, they started building it up and having farms and crops, manufacturing, and all the things necessary to take it from a wasteland to a flourishing country. It also says that the people were gathered from all the nations into Israel. That's what we've seen as people from virtually every nation have made Aliyah to Israel in the last hundred years. So this is a perfect description of what Israel is experiencing today. It also describes them as living securely, all of them. Well, today we would say Israel isn't living securely because they're in the middle of a war. Israel tends to be in wars a lot. In their 75 years of existence, they have had numerous wars, and yet they're still living securely. We've been there. We felt safe. You can walk around Israel just about anywhere, just about any time, and feel secure. Unless they're in the middle of a war, which they are right now. Obviously, Tourists aren't going over there now because you never know what Hamas is going to do. When this war ends, if in fact it ends the way Israel wants it to, Israel will be back to living peacefully in their land. Yes, they have walls that separate them from the terrorist people in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, but that's what they're designed to do is separate them from terrorism and the rest of the people living in Israel are living securely.
0: Are we talking then where we could look at this as being the time that's being talked about here,
1: or is it something we would still be waiting for? I read this as meaning it could happen at any time. However, there's a lot of people that say, because it says in verse 11, that Israel's at rest, living securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. That means that the walls that are separating them from the West Bank right now will be torn down. That's very possible. Understand, however, in the times that this was written, walls surrounded cities to protect cities, and sometimes countries. You can look at China and the wall of China. The walls that Israel put up are for a small territory to protect them from terrorists. So people will say, yeah, it's not this time because they have walls. I say that Israel's living securely, personally. But there are a lot of people that believe that this war will not occur until the peace agreement is made with Israel and somebody, we don't know who that somebody is going to be, by the Antichrist. In Daniel nine 27, we're told that he, the Antichrist, or specifically the prince who is to come, which we call the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of the seven years, he'll put an end to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. Bottom line of that is that there's a seven-year period of time that we call the tribulation period, where the first part of it, at least right when the agreement is signed, is going to be peaceful. That's why you can look at Revelation chapter 6. The first horse of the apocalypse is riding on a white horse, seemingly bringing peace. And that isn't Jesus. He returns in chapter 19 on a white horse. The point being is that if this peace agreement is what's necessary for this war to take place, for Israel to be living securely, then this war will not happen until the beginning of the tribulation starts.
0: It makes me wonder then what would happen if Israel is very successful in this war with Hamas and they get into Gaza and they take out all the tunnels and they take care of Hamas, which is what their goal is right now, because they feel they can't coexist with the terrorist organization having the ability to do what they did before. So if they are successful and they take out Hamas, then we could be in a situation
1: like that. We could be, and Israel has made several peace agreements with several countries that have been brokered, some by the United States and some by others, but they haven't been the peace agreement from Daniel nine twenty seven. This war right now is the worst war they've seen in 50 years. And the outcome of the war, for me, I can't see how that can come out peacefully for Israel. But with God, all things are possible. So this could be the situation that leads Israel to the peace agreement with the Antichrist in Daniel 9.27. If that's the case, then we're moving quicker and quicker to the return of Jesus.
0: We're talking about a Gog and Magog war, and yet there is a Gog and Magog war mentioned in Revelation 20. Is this necessarily the same war, or are these possibly two different Gog and Magog wars?
1: I have heard people that I trust who know Scripture that say they're the same war. I don't believe they are. Let me read you Revelation twenty seven through 9. Understand that this passage is at the end of the millennial kingdom. So before this can happen, you have to have the seven-year tribulation period and the thousand-year reign by Jesus on earth before the Gog and Magog war of Revelation 20. Here it reads in Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are completed, that gives you the timing, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out, "...to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore, and they will come up on the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them." Understand, if you compare these two wars, Ezekiel 38 and 39 involves five nations. In Revelation, it's the nations from the four corners of the earth. Ezekiel 38, it occurs in the last days, whereas Revelation 20 occurs after the millennial kingdom. Ezekiel 38, they meet on the mountains of Israel, whereas in Revelation 20, they gather on the broad plain, which is around Jerusalem. Totally different areas. In Ezekiel 38, Gog of Magog is the leader. In Revelation 20, Satan is the leader. In Ezekiel 38, they will be destroyed by God. We haven't seen that yet. Whereas in Revelation 20, they're destroyed by fire from heaven. In Ezekiel 38, it says they dispose of the bodies and the debris afterwards, whereas in Revelation 20, it's all burned up in fire. Finally, in Ezekiel 38, the millennial kingdom will follow, whereas in Revelation 20, it follows the millennial kingdom. And keep in mind, too, we're going to find out that Gog in Ezekiel, is going to be buried in Israel, whereas Satan, the leader of the Revelation 20 Magog, is going to be relegated to eternal hell. So different destinations. So I see these as two totally different wars, even though the words are the same. Well, we have so much more to discuss from this war, and we will continue this next week. But you now know the players, so be watching for world events regarding these five countries and be looking for what's happening in Israel, to see if indeed we're nearing the time of this Gog and Magog war, and be praying for Israel. They need your prayers, first and foremost, to turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and secondly, for their peace and their protection.